Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. As a guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days in the field. This show is about translating my hard-won experiences into tips and tactics that'll get you closer to your ultimate goal, success in the field. I'm Remy Warren. This is Cutting the Distance. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Last week, we talked about October phase mule deer. This week, we're going to be jumping forward and covering rut phase muleys. There's a few states out there that offer tags that go into the rut, and we're going to be covering good tactics by exploring what deer are doing and how to suss out big mature bucks at this most vulnerable time of the year by looking first at rut behavior, then focusing in on the places to concentrate your efforts and the tactics to employ. Before we do that, I want to share the story of the one-eyed Jack, one of my best rut-raged mule deer. Right now, I'm actually in my cabin, and I'm looking up on the wall here, and I'm looking at one of my, probably one of my best bucks that I'd taken during the rut. Um, this happened to be a season where I could hunt through the archery season. So starting in September, hunt archery, and then it went all the way through pretty much the end of November. This particular year, I was uh, wanting to find the best deer that I could. I'd scouted really hard during the summer. I mean, I put all my time into chasing big mule deer. Uh, from essentially, I, I think I started probably scouting in June or July and found some really, really big bucks and a couple, had a couple target bucks that I was looking for. And uh, my dad had a mule deer tag, a friend of mine had a deer tag, and we were just kind of like dedicating this season to finding a big mule deer. So I hunted all of archery season. I mean, I put some stocks on some great deer, um, got in within range and just passed because it, it wasn't the caliber of buck that I was looking for. I really wanted to take a buck that was over 180 inches. And up until that point, that would have been my, my biggest deer. 
So, I mean, I, I snuck in with a bow within 30 yards of some mid-170 bucks. I, I mean, I passed up probably, I don't even know, 150, what I would consider like good, solid 170 type, or one, not 170, but like 155 to 170 type bucks. And so the season continued on. Um, I, I was also guiding during this time. So it was like, I, I hunted a lot of the archery season for myself, uh, did a lot of pre-scouting and other things. And then I had a few weeks during the rifle season to hunt. Now it was during general rifle season. So I, um, I was still bow hunting the first part of the season, but as it winded down, it was nearing that last week of the season. I think we had three or four days left to hunt. And I thought to myself, man, I put in so much time. I've been super diligent. Um, I just hadn't found the buck that I was looking for. And there's only a couple days left. Um, I'd seen some really nice deer, but just nothing that really was like that, that buck. So as the rut was going through, we were, I had a few different pockets that I kind of kept going back to areas where I, I saw a lot of really good rut behavior, uh, bucks kind of really corralling the does and then a lot of pockets of does. And I just kind of keep cruising, going through these, these different pockets. Well, this one particular pocket that I, I probably checked daily, maybe multiple times a day, big open basin had some trees and timber in it, but, um, it's kind of one of those more dry South facing slopes, big kind of rock rims at the top. And, uh, it held, held a lot of deer. So I'd seen a lot of the deer that I'd probably even some of many of them that I'd already passed on. And I was looking for one particular buck, but it just couldn't turn him up. So I'm, I'm standing there. Uh, my dad was with me and this particular day, I was like, I'd, I'd carried the bow pretty much every day. And I thought, Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just bring the rifle. Cause it's a pretty open country here. I thought, man, if I see the deer that I'm looking for, you know, it doesn't matter rifle or bow. It's like that point in the, in the season. So I, I actually had my rifle with me. It's like the first day I took the rifle and I'm like, this is area is just so open. And there's, I mean, probably on average 40 does in this Canyon. So I thought it's going to be tough to sneak in on one either way. And with limited time, cool. So I've got my rifle with me. So we're sitting up there glassing and see some bucks, you know, nothing real crazy. There's like a, a, kind of like a, a couple deer doing the stomp around. So it's like big rutted up meal. Their necks are just swollen. You know, these are probably some, some nice, decent looking bucks, like three by threes or whatever, but decent looking bucks. And they're, they're, they're pushing the does around. They're stomping around doing their thing. They're kind of do this like stiff neck walk, stomp grunting. And the way that I can actually hear some, like uh, a couple grunts down below us. I can't see. I'm like, uh, Okay. And then I start hearing just like some major rattling, two bucks fighting. I'm like, oh, okay. But it's below, it's right below where we're glassing from. So I can't see them. So I start working down. And sure enough, down below me, it's like this, the way the hills slope. There's these, these two, this one buck runs out. And he's like, oh, he's a nice buck, like mid-160s type buck. And I'm like, oh, man. And then I see the, like, the forks of this other deer. And I'm like, that's a big deer. But I can't see, all I can see is like his top back fork. So I'm like, man, that, that's a, that's a good buck. Um, and I see that he's got a couple extras on him, like in line. So he's essentially like four by main four by four. And then he's got like these in line extra fifths and he's got eye guards too. So I guess if you're a, a white tail hunter, would that be <laughs> six per side times two doing math? That would be 12. It's a Texas 12 pointer. <laughs> I would call it a five by five. And, uh, some people would call it a six by six. So 
Nice, just a solid buck. Um, definitely over that 180 benchmark. Uh, and I'm like, okay, it, it's it's this buck. So I'm being super cautious. I'm like, all right, I don't want to blow him out. And I can't really, it's like, he's actually pretty close the way the, the hill's sloped. And I just hear him grunting, grunting, grunting. And I don't have a call or anything with me, but I give him a couple grunts like, eh, eh, eh. and and then I just see like, antler tips start coming my way and he's working up the hill and he's just on a cruising mission. So he goes and, and now he's just like, he, I'm pretty sure he, he won that fight. And I don't know why, like, he's just, he's just rut raged. I mean, he is full on beast mode, just stocky in the front moving and he's moving. Now he's moving pretty good and he's, he's not running, but he's just like cruising and I don't have a shot the way the hill is. He's like working up past me at this point and he's going up over the ridge. So I'm like, Oh crap. So I, I throw up my binos and now he's going, he's like past me. Cause I, I couldn't actually see him. So the, the hill's steep. He like worked right below me. I could just see the top of his rack. He never stopped. I kind of went down and then I look up and he's already up and going over cresting over the ridge. I throw my binoculars up and I notice something weird on his left side. I was like, guys, his face just looks like, I was like, man, like it looked like I could see blood. And I'm like, huh, okay, well, he's just got in a fight. I don't know if it's fresh or what. So that buck went over the ridge, like a ways above me. And I'm like, got to make a move. Because, I mean, I don't know if he's cruising to the next set of does, what the heck he's doing. Maybe there were some does he was fighting about on the other side or pocket. Maybe that's where he was. And I don't know what's going on, but I got to move. So I run up over the hill, get to the top, and I don't see him. It's the same deal. It's like I get to the top, and then it's just super steep, and I can't really see below but that pocket. So I start working down now. It's kind of like, this is more of like a burned little bit of cover in here. And I go and I, I'm moving down and I hear the grunt. That's gotta be him. You know, I'm like, okay. So I start, I start working toward that grunt and I see antler tips and he's just like, he's cruising, he's grunting, he's, he's moving. I throw up my binoculars and all I can see is like his neck and his head. And I look and I see that he only like, he doesn't have a left eye. Like it had been gored out while fighting. So that I'm like, Oh, that's probably what happened. He's the bigger deer, but must've just lost his eye. And he's like, what's going on? He sees out of his right side, his left eye is gone. And I'm like, oh, this is my time. So I start, I start moving in. I, I mean, he's like, I'm like, okay, nothing like stalking a blind deer, you know? <laughs> so I'm moving down and he's definitely alert and I I'm trying to hustle because he's like cruising. So I, I parallel him on the Ridge drop down and I'm like, I can't get a good shot. I just got to keep stalking in. So he stops, I grunt and I can tell like I'm on his blind side. Now I'm just using this to my advantage. Although he's hundred percent alert. He's got his other eye, you know, he's got his nose, he's got his ears. So I start moving down, keep creeping down. He's so rut rage. Like every little stick snap, you can just see he's, he's, pretty much blowing steam out of his nose. And I get to a point where I finally get like, he slowed down enough and stopped. And now I can get into position. Of course, the day that I take my rifle, this deer, I'm stalking a one-eyed deer called one-eyed Jack. And I'm like it probably 30 yards broadside, pull up the rifle offhand, boom, shoot, buck goes down. 
And I was still pretty stoked because, I, of course, I, my first thought was like, damn it, the one day you don't take your bow and you're within bow range of the kind of buck you're looking for after pretty much 90 days of chasing deer. But on the flip side, uh, I was pretty excited to take my biggest buck to date to that point, uh, whether with a rifle, whether with a bow, whatever, but just a, uh, a rut-raged warrior for sure. And it was a pretty cool deer. Uh, one that I still look at and have the memory of that hunt. When we're talking about rut tactics, when it comes to mule deer, we first kind of need to understand what the bucks are doing. The rut is really probably the best time, one of the best times, I'd say, to target mature mule deer because they're out searching for does. And there's a couple types of mule deer, you know, you can't just put a blanket statement over mule deer and then assume that the behavior is the same between all mule deer because there's some mule deer that are fairly localized, like they're a homebody mule deer. They might be in one canyon and they'll rut in that same canyon and they're going to do all their things in that canyon. They're just like very local to that particular area. And then there's other ones that are mule deer. Maybe it's a more migratory area. Maybe it's got a big mountain. It's like, it's got mule deer that are just on a cruise mission and either way whether they're local or whether they're moving a long ways into this area to rut the goal of those bucks is the same it's to breed bucks are trying to find does that are going into heat they're they're looking for those estrus does that they can breed that's their whole focus that time of year now of course there's all that other behavior that coincides with them trying to breed because the the bucks are, are essentially fighting for that right to breed those does one thing I like to think about when it comes to hunting the rut, and one thing that's very cool is big bucks can literally turn up anywhere. But when I concentrate on finding mature mule deer, when I'm looking for the best bucks uh, that I can, whether it's a general area that happens to be during the rut, whether it's a limited tag area, there's going to be certain areas that are more productive than others. And those productive areas this time of year are where the does are. I always have the saying, me and my brother would always say, find the does, find the bucks. It's one of the things like when other times a year, if you're looking, maybe you'll see does. Even during that October phase, you see does. It doesn't necessarily mean that the bucks are there. Once you've hit that rut phase, probably the beginning of November, even when they're starting to cruise through the end of November, once you find the does, the bucks will be nearby or at some point will be there. So we're going to focus our tactics on those pockets of does, and then kind of how to exploit those doe pockets and the tactics that you want to use during the rut to kind of make the time that you've got more productive. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter 
the strategist and wired right now you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting auraframes.com that's a-u-r-a frames.com make sure you use the promo code meat eater because for a limited time you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. Auraframes.com, promo code Meat Eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. When you're focusing in on buck behavior during the rut and you're looking at does, you got to think of them as kind of like two different species because what's happening is the bucks during this time of year are the cruisers. They are moving from pocket of doe to pocket of doe. What they're doing is they're looking for, uh, well, they're looking for a lot of things. Some of the younger bucks are probably looking for a doe that they can sneak away and nobody else has got. The bigger bucks are looking for those does that are ready to breed that they can kind of take control of that group. But they might even, they might be there for an hour. They might be there for 20 minutes, especially early in the rut in that moving phase mature bucks are doing a lot of cruising. They're kind of looking for groups of does that are clustered up that are kind of like, Hey, more in one spot. It's like, if I take control of this zone, I've got 30 does to breed as opposed to one doe off in the timber somewhere. So the mature bucks as the rep progresses are looking for those, those good concentrations of does. The bucks are the cruisers, but the does are more constant. You might find, so what I like to do is I like to look for what I call doe pockets. Uh, it's it's a certain area that just has what does like. The does, I mean, yeah, they want to breed, they want to procreate, but it's not the same intensity, I feel like sometimes, as those bucks go through. The does start clustering up and they're just doing their thing and then the bucks come in and kind of disturb that. Their thing is 
eating, feeding, surviving. Oftentimes they're going to be clustered up and they'll be in these areas where they've got that food source, the things that they like, they've got that water, they've got that cover. They're safe, but they're in these kind of like, I call them pockets because it's an isolated uh, area of habitat where it's got everything they need in a very small area because they're they're the constant. They know that the more they, they group up, their scent's going to be around. It's going to attract more bucks. It just lends to that breeding cycle. So the, the does are kind of going to pick these micro habitats where they've got a little bit of everything they need. Yeah, they'll travel a little bit of distance, but not like the bucks will. I've seen I've seen a buck that like one day during early rut phase on one area of the mountain and seen that same buck about 10 miles away later that day. Just like that deer never stopped moving. And what he's doing is he's, he's cruising all these little micro habitats, all these little pockets, looking for those pockets of does. So what I like to do during the rut phase is find the pockets of does. That's going to be kind of like my live bait. Those are going to be the places that I focus and concentrate my efforts on. And knowing that bucks are covering country and they can kind of show up in these areas at at any time. So what I like to do is I kind of do the same thing that a buck would do. I I like to tailor my hunt thinking of like, if I were a buck, what am I doing? And that involves covering country and checking multiple pockets repeatedly. Uh, There is, there is an idea of thinking like, okay, I could just sit on this one pocket and anything could show up at any time. That is true. But what I like to do is is I like to figure out where these pockets of doe is going to be. And then kind of covering a lot of country in between that, checking different pockets, seeing kind of the rut activity and deciding, okay, this is one where it's, it's, it's going to be create a really good rut magnet. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, figuring out kind of like checking the temperament of each of these pockets. So when you're thinking about doe pockets, I like to find uh, there's like different productivity levels of pockets of does. You might be in an area and you go, God, there's 150 does in here. What I like to do is I kind of like to, to factor in, okay, how productive are these does going to be? coming into cycle soon. And if I find a pocket that's like a lot of does and fawns, I know that yes, deer will like cruising deer will go check them out, but it's not really, they aren't, especially early in the rut. It's not really going to hold the bucks. Um, there is that occasion like, yeah, some, some does with fawns can be bred. It's generally later. Um, sometimes you'll see a big buck chasing a fawn around whatever, but it's the pockets of does that don't have a lot of fawns that are going to be more productive. Those are the ones that you're going to get these like rut magnets where it's, it's one buck kind of gets on that group. Another buck comes in, they start fighting. They're creating more noise, spreading more scent, circling around each other, which is drawing in more bucks, which is creating this magnet. The larger it gets and the more it draws in. And that's what we're looking for. Those high productive pockets where the bucks are really active and it's kind of drawing in the deer from other areas where it's pulling bucks away from those less productive pockets. Um, And what's going to end up happening is the mature bucks are going to be in those highest productive areas. They're going to be the ones kind of fighting for those really good does, those, those high likelihood of breeding does, whereas you're going to find probably your more immature bucks in those kind of nursery pockets with a lot, maybe there might be a lot of does, but, um, you know, they're going to be trying to sneak away does that probably won't be receptive to breeding. Uh, now if you're just looking to shoot any deer, once you find those pockets, like sweet, <laughs> you're in the money, you, you know, there's going to be probably an ample amount of fork and horns and little three points cruising around. But if you're focusing on big mature deer or, um, you know, trying to take better bucks, like better age class bucks, then you want to focus on those higher productivity pockets. 
once I've got an area where I think, okay, here's where the does like, here's some good areas, then I then I spend my time. I do two different tactics. One is kind of cruising and covering country. I especially cover more country. It seems like I cover more pockets the later in the rut. So earlier in the rut, when I've got good glassing vantages, so like let's say beginning of November, whatever, I'm generally looking for good vantages where I can cover a lot of country with my eyes. The reason for that is early in the rut during that cruising phase, the mature deer are going to be checking a lot of pockets and not really focusing in and holding down on a certain particular area. As the rut progresses, as it gets actually closer to breeding time. So like what the bucks are doing early, they're cruising, they're figuring things out. They're like, where are the does at? What's, you know, maybe there's going to be a hot doe here and I'll spend a little bit of time, but they're just, they're cruising, they're checking, they're moving, they're going. So what I like to do is cover a lot of country. The whole, the whole key with rut mule deer hunting is covering a lot of country. Just how you do it might change a little bit. So the early stages, I'm doing a lot of glassing. I'm covering country where I can see a long ways because at any point in the day, I know that a big deer could walk through. Some of the best deer I've found early season like that or early rut like that is from sitting in one vantage covering five or six miles and going, oh, there's one cruising across that opening. Now, sometimes by the time you get there, they aren't there. But if you, you, you I'll watch, and I'll say, oh, there's a pocket of does here. Okay, he's going, he's checking them out. Gives me a little bit of time to try to get over there and figure out where the deer are at or get into a nice area where I've got a good vantage. And hey, uh, there's some good does, maybe a, a good pocket here that bucks are going to be continually checking. And I can kind of cover multiple places with my eyes, with my optics, with my spotting scope and binoculars, and then just keep checking in on those spots. Now, as the rep progresses, I actually like to kind of figure out like, I actually do more moving then because I've got pockets of does that go like, okay, maybe this, this pocket's going to be the one that creates that, that deer magnet today. It's the one where there's a, a doe's going to come into heat. Bucks are going to be fighting for this one doe. That sounds going to kind of be a natural call and a magnet to other deer. So I just start going and checking different pockets of does. I might move in if I can, if I can glass it and it's that kind of country sweet. If it's the kind of country where it's more broken, like breaks type country, if it's more, um, you know, like, uh, different canyons and goalies type country. Then I use my feet or whatever, however I need to, to cover more country and find those little pockets. <coughs> I'll then go in and I'll set up and I'll watch and say, okay, like, you know, is this an area that's going to be holding deer? And you might even find those pockets that are really active in the morning and then just kind of keep watching them because there might be bucks that were, you know, running hard early and before daylight hours bedded off and then they're going to move in and try to steal some does during the day. So I'll, I'll then kind of focus in on those does and then see what gets drawn into that. And then I'll keep checking different pockets where I know or have seen does in the past. One thing to think about is when you find a pocket that's like pretty productive, has a lot of does, what I'll do is like I'll pull out my maps and I'll just try to find other areas that have that similar type habitat, whether it's, you know, depends on where you're at and what you're doing, but where you're finding does, like kind of pay attention to that habitat, pay attention to the hill orientation, the, the type of terrain it is, and then find other places like that. And you're going to start seeing a pattern where it's like, hey, now I'm finding more pockets of does. And it gives me more places to check to try to find the place that's going to draw in those mature bucks. I appreciate everybody that's been sending me messages. Man, some really good October season bucks have been coming in mule deer. I've been getting some awesome pictures from people using a couple of the tactics from last week already. It's like, hey, caught that before I went out this weekend. Look what I got. And I'm like, heck yeah, man. Uh, 
you know, if you've got a rut mule deer tag or whatever, and you find some success, make sure to, to keep me posted. I appreciate it. So many awesome messages coming in. Don't forget to send in your questions because we're going to be doing a Q&A here pretty quick. Next week, we're going to dive into a little bit of fun gear stuff. I've got some, like, just, I just kind of thinking about some of the fun things that I say when I'm out hunting. Um, I'm going to get a little bit of a teaser. One of my gear mantras, protect the puffy at all costs. You'll, you guys will understand next week. Um, but I'm going to talk about a little bit of some of the gear stuff. Just some of the fun stuff that I've got tried this year, some of the other stuff. So got a little bit of gear stuff coming up next week. And then of course, some Q and A's and make sure to share your success with me. Hopefully some of these, these ideas kind of help you know, maybe, maybe it's things you already know, but it just resonates like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. I'm finding those pockets of does and this time of year, this is what we're looking for. So I think that there's going to be a lot of good success had this season. I'm really excited to start doing some serious mule deer hunting. I've got a lot of late season elk hunting stuff. My guide season starts, kicks off rifle this weekend. So, uh, it gets to that time of year for me where I'm just like hundred percent going after elk. And then we get a little bit of a break in that and have some guided mule deer hunts and some other stuff. I've got a couple of mule deer tags myself, which man, I, th- I feel like if you're to pick two species out West, it's like mule deer and elk are the, the Kings of the country. And of course you've got the sheep tags and the other stuff sprinkled in here or there, but it's what most people hunt. And it's just, um, I don't know, there's something about mule deer. Like if you were to t- ask me what, what animal antlers just kind of like make you the most excited? It's it's big mule deer, absolutely, hands down. Now, giant elk are, are rad. Any elk is rad. They're the most delicious creature on the planet. But when it comes to just hunting, hunting deer, uh, I don't know. For me, it's just something so cool about mule deer. Actually, uh, you know, I, it's funny, man. This podcast is, we're at like episode, what, 116 or something like that? It's That's nuts. Uh, it just seems like yesterday I was talking about rattling in mule deer and I was like, oh yeah, I just, I was trying to scroll back and like find the episode and I'm like, what this episode 17. Um, but today I'm going to release a video. I found all the like footage that I was looking for and did just kind of like a little throwback video. So, uh, be call, you can watch me rattle a 180 inch mule deer off of private land to where we could shoot it. Um, that's on my YouTube today, uh, Remy Warren YouTube channel. Go check that out. And yeah, excited. Keep leaving the comments and, and keep reaching out. I appreciate you all. And until next week, find the does, find the bucks. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. 
Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. 